Welcome to Facilitating Extraordinary. I'm your host, Travis Lozier. And today I'm honored by having Dr. Patrick McGill on today's podcast. Dr. McGill is the Chief Analytics Officer for Community Health Network. And we have a little history, Patrick. Yeah, we have a lot of history together. (laughs) Welcome to the show. I'm glad you're here. I appreciate you having me. It's kind of like the old days. It does. You know, anticipating this session, I did think about like, this feels a lot like Tollgate 8 that we started, you know, at Community over a year ago now. And we had some good times recording those sessions. And I anticipate today will will be just like riding a bike for us. Oh, yeah. You know, I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. You know, Tollgate 8 was like that, like that Netflix series where you get like a limited and then it gets canceled. Like, I think we did, we did what, you know, five or six episodes. And this will go down, not to go down memory lane, but remember the videos that we did on uh, explaining the improvement process? Somebody asked me about those the other day. And I think we did like four or five of those videos. And uh, I felt felt like, you know, again, it was a, some sort of series that got canceled prematurely. But, you know, hey, we're back together and uh, we can tell the story today. That's right. We're back together. And I like to think that we got canceled early, um, but the demand was still there. It wasn't because the pilot was bad. It was we had great content and we were just maybe ahead of our times. We had the best content. Yeah, I think that was the problem. We sure did. Well, it is it is great to be back. So I'm going to just jump in and we can have a conversation around some of these questions. But, um, you know, I followed your work. Um, over the last 12, 12 months uh, during the pandemic and just really admired um, all of the work that you're helping lead at Community. And this is just kind of a high-level question, but what does the world of healthcare data analytics and improvement look like post-pandemic? You know, I, I know we're not out of the pandemic yet, but what, what do you envision the future of analytics and healthcare improvement looking like as kind of we look ahead? That's a great question. You know, we, we learned a lot during the pandemic um, and, it, and we had to learn it very quickly. You know, we were able to stand up a lot of operational and clinical analytics uh, within a very short period of time because we had to to keep the keep the business running. You know, I think that uh, before the pandemic, you know, we would measure volumes, we would measure outcomes um, and, it, and, and having the data, you know, a couple of weeks lagging was OK. We learned during the pandemic, we needed real-time data. Things were changing so quickly um, that we needed real-time daily, if not hourly data on what was going on in the hospitals, what was going on in the ERs, what was going on with uh, the outpatient clinics. And certainly when we, you know, everything shut down and then we were reopening, we needed that data as well. And and so I think there's a couple of areas where the, where data analytics looks post-pandemic. One is just the availability and the maturity of, of real-time data, whether it's operational or clinical. Uh, you know, the second is I think the pandemic and also some, you know, social changes that occurred last year really highlighted uh, a lot of the, the issues that we've known about for a long time with health equity and health uh, outcome related to equity. And so I think that's another area where we've got to be more mindful and, and we've spent a lot of time looking with analytics is around uh, outcomes related to uh, health, you know, race and social equity, health health equity outcomes. Um, you know, we've 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 been able to accelerate and advance some of our 
uh, analytic maturity when it comes to predictive models and, and uh, leveraging some other digital transformations. And obviously with anything digital transformation, you have to have data to be able to measure that. Um, so when it comes to process improvement, you know, I, the pandemic also, you know, as with any technology implementation, shined a big bright spotlight on some of our processes that we either didn't fully understand or didn't have optimized or well-documented and I think that I think that that has um, you know created a, a burning platform to really take another look at our processes and, tr- and continuously try to improve them. Yeah, just a couple callouts from that. You know, um, with our work in in performance excellence and process improvement, you talked about real time data, and that has always been kind of an Achilles heel when we've done any kind of healthcare. Uh, improvement related work. We, we tend to be very good at outcomes measures just because sometimes the incentive systems are structured that way. Um, so it's encouraging to hear you talk about real-time data um, and even thinking about predictive data. At the end of that, you were talking a little bit about um, getting some additional insights into processes that maybe weren't as mature as, as maybe we thought. Um, do you see digitization helping with some of those that, that process maturity, not, not as a replacement to um, the processes, but more of an enabler to, to help increase the maturity of those processes? Oh, absolutely, without a doubt. So, you know, you've heard me say many times that people will come to us and say, hey, I need data on this, or I need a dashboard. And we always kind of push back and say, okay, what are you trying to improve? What processes? Let's look at the processes and then, and then design or develop the data and analytics to measure the processes to drive your outcomes. And so we always push people to start with process, then data, and then, and then dashboard and outcomes. But a lot of times we have, you know, inherently, um, it, it, it's, it, it's a lot of times it's the opposite. So I absolutely think um, the digitalization has, has caused us or forced us to look at our uh, processes and will give us more real-time data. So when I say real-time data, you know, just to clarify, a lot of times in healthcare, the outcomes are lagging. I mean, yep. it, it takes time for things to develop or it takes time uh, for the outcomes to occur. Either the measurement period, you know, for like a surgical site infection is 30 or 90 days after the in, uh, uh, surgery. So by definition, those are going to be lagging, but that doesn't mean that you can't measure the processes to, to, you know, improve the outcomes. And that's what we've really had a shift um, in the last year or 18 months to really drive looking at those processes and being able to measure those in real time. And then the, not to, not to overlook, but we've made some changes at community to be able to measure um, patient experience, patient reported outcomes to measure those things in real time as well. That will then, as you know, continue, continue to drive improvement in the processes. Yeah, Patrick, that's really encouraging to hear. And it reminds me when you were talking through that of the, of the Deming quote, every system or process is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. And it seems like all of this work, you know, through the pandemic has highlighted the importance of that for you all getting the real-time data and even um, strengthening some of these core organizational processes that you mentioned from, you know, care outcomes to even experience related work. Um, with some of those insights, 
you know, those organizational skills and capabilities will have to follow quickly behind, you know, these new kind of approaches to data and analytics and process improvement. If you were to think about what those skills and capabilities are going to be required of in the future, when you think about the future ready workforce, what skills and capabilities do you think people are going to need to have to be able to operate effectively in this post-pandemic world? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a um, direct answer, and then I'm going to give you probably part of the answer that you may not be expecting. So let's start with the, the direct one first. You know, obviously, uh, technical and data literacy is going to be a must for anybody entering the healthcare workforce. So what do I mean by that? One is, you know, we use technology in all aspects of our life, um, whether it's scheduling airplane tickets or reservations or whatever it is. But for whatever reason, when we get in healthcare, um, we kind of forget what it's like in, in every, every other aspect of our life. And so we have to be able to change that mindset. And we need people who, who have a different mindset coming in with the rise of consumerism and, and patient-centered care and some other buzzwords that you hear, you know, I think that there's a growing expectation. I think the pandemic accelerated this to some degree. There's a growing expectation that people want to interact with healthcare systems in many of the same ways that they interact with other um, industries through other parts of their life. And, and we have to respect that as healthcare providers and we have to change um, some of our processes. One of the things that we learned with EMRs is you can't just pluck an EMR onto on top of paper processes. You have to change your processes um, to to match the EMR. And I think that I think that that's the mindset, and that's some of the skills that we need. So people to be able to understand the processes, think in a process uh, fashion. Obviously, being able to read and interpret data. I'm not talking about develop a dashboard or code SQL or anything like that. I'm talking about be able to look at a dashboard, understand uh, variation, understand you know what's important, what's not, try and gain insights. Now the indirect answer or the or that I'm going to give you is, I think that there needs to be um, an increased level of curiosity with the healthcare workforce, and that's not to say that it's not there, but we need people. To, at all levels, whether it's a physician or a nurse or, you know, somebody who, who checks patients in or registers them, to have a level of curiosity about how can I or the system make this process better? How can we reduce the friction? How can we cut out the waste? It's this constant curiosity that um, is, is, will be critical uh, if we're really going to move the needle in, in healthcare. We, and I say that because nobody has all the answers. Just look at look at the news and some of the organizations that have come together that have fallen apart, that are changing. Um, it's it's going to take a continuous, constant level of curiosity to continue to drive the change. Yeah, I, I jotted that down, Patrick. I like the way you said that—a constant curiosity—and it does remind me, you know, of of the vision you had of. How do we empower the entire workforce to have that curiosity, not only have that curiosity, but have a voice in speaking up to say, how do we make and lead change? How do we continue to do this better, eliminate variation, eliminate waste, reduce friction? 
Um, so I'm not surprised at all um, that you provided that as a response. And I do think, um, you know, the, the power of that, you know, might not even be able to be measured if you can create a workforce that's constantly looking for ways to, to do those types of things. So I know you mentioned a lot has happened throughout the pandemic. And I know just can kind of from watching from afar that you all have done some incredible work over the last 12 months to really continue to drive patient outcomes, put patients first. If you were to look back over these last 12 months, what do you think is your most proudest kind of moment for through all the efforts that you all are doing? What, what would you, how would you pick one of those and which one would it be? That's a tough question to answer, just picking one. You know, we, I am very proud of the teams that we have at Community and the, and the teams that I work with because during the pandemic, we're at, whereas a lot of organizations may have been slowing down or, or really, really focusing on, on COVID, certainly we were absolutely focused on COVID. We're a healthcare organization. That's, that was our number one priority. But at the same time, we were able to you know, accelerate on some other digital transformation uh, activities. And so we were, uh, we were able to take our final hospital alive on Epic. Uh, so now we're Epic enterprise wide, we were able to uh, transition to a new uh, patient experience platform, um, you know, customer listening platform. We're able to uh, launch and implement a new uh, internal communication tool so that all of our 16,000 caregivers have a platform to hear real-time news or real-time updates with information. Uh, we were able to launch, you know, other activities such as a chat bot and um, patient engagement tools and, and spreading other um, nurse leader rounding tools. We able, we transitioned our data warehouse to the cloud. So those are a lot of kind of technical activities, but I'm very proud that our teams not only were focused on COVID and everything that was driving our business with COVID and the needs, but also we didn't take our eye off the ball with some of these others. If I had to point to one thing that I think that was patient focused that I'm most proud of is, you know, we, we spent a lot of time. Um, we have spent a lot of time over the last couple of years looking at uh, social determinants of health. So what do I mean by that? It's housing insecurity, transportation, financial insecurity, um, you know, food insecurity, those types of things. And, um, you know, through the pandemic and, and starting earlier this year, we were able to uh, launch a universal screening. So every patient that comes in for an annual wellness visit or their annual physical is screened for social determinants. People in the ER screened for social determinants. Patients when they're leaving the hospital screened for social determinants. And we're able to capture that data, which will uh, allow us to not only address the patient needs through a partnership we have um, with a, a company called Aunt Bertha Community Benefit Organization that we've in, integrated into Epic. Um, so we're able to capture the needs, address the patient needs, but also uh, identify where we need to go organizationally, strategically to uh, advance or address those gaps uh, that we're seeing with our uh, little C community. So you know, if you, if you really talk about population health, if you really talk about health equities, if you really talk about patient-centered, patient outcomes, my personal opinion is a lot of that starts with a conversation on social determinants of health. And I, I think in the last, with everything that we did, and that we did an incredible amount of work 
And again, like I started this answer, I'll end the answer with, I give major credit, all the kudos to all of our team members um, that were working tirelessly, uh, whether it was in direct patient care or support with, with patient care, or IT analytics improvement, um, all the support uh, teams as well. But if I had to say one thing I'm most proud of with, in, in addition to everything that we accomplished last year, it would be that we really focused and, and have really gotten a lot of momentum. And I would argue in a lot of ways, we're leading in central Indiana around the, in the social determinant space. That's so cool, Patrick, to hear that. And, you know, I, I knew you all didn't let the foot off the gas and kind of accelerated in some ways throughout the pandemic. And come on, Travis, you used to work with me at one point you worked for me. You know, that if there's any person that's not going to take their foot off the gas, it's going to be me. It's you. Yeah. But also at the same time, you've got your foot on the gas and you're also giving credit to the people that are actually doing this work. And I do know when you were talking about the team at community that you had a group of hundreds of thousands of committed team members right behind you helping make this happen. So that's, that, that's just incredible. And there's no question you'll continue to lead um, in this market and maybe even beyond with, with that work. So um, I'm going to ask you one more question and then I'm going to close with um, maybe asking you to come back for another session. So just hold that thought before you say no, don't say no yet. Um, So as you were like just personally reflecting about your biggest leadership learning. So I'm just talking about you, Patrick, like throughout all of this, is there anything that you've learned about yourself or your leadership style that um, maybe wouldn't have been highlighted had you not gone through the pandemic um, that has just been a learning for you? Any insights there? Yeah, you know, I think as with the other questions that you've asked me, you know, I'm not going to give you one answer. I'm going to give you a couple couple answers. So I think there's a couple things um, that I've learned that I, I really can't point out one of the biggest. But uh, so a couple that I've learned through the pandemic is, is like I just mentioned, um, and, and this one probably more reinforced what I already knew is that we're all in this together, that everything that we accomplished um, was done through the through teamwork and people's commitment and dedication and the culture that we have um, we and many others have built uh, at community uh, over the many years of it, of its existence. Uh, so that's one. The second one is I think specific to the pandemic, the pandemic was hard on a lot of people. And you know the leadership lesson that that I have to learn or had to learn is, you need to be respectful of, of the difficulty, whether it's, I mean, it was, it was hard from the amount of work that people were putting in the long hours, the changing in hours and duties. I mean, shifting to working at home versus going in the office every day and the challenges that that presented with, you know, working parents at home and children at school and everybody at home and, and everything else. And I think that the, the leadership, I, I read a great article the other day about this topic is that, this is no different than people that have gone off to war or, you know, our, our military um, folks that have gone off to war and come back and they need time to decompress. And so we have to allow people to decompress. And the other leadership lessons I learned that everybody deals with stress in a different way. Some people deal with stress by doubling down and working twice as much. Other people deal with stress by 
they need more time to decompress and they need more time um, to, to recover and get, and get work done. So I think that if the pandemic specifically taught me uh, anything, I think that, I think that it's, it's being respectful of people. And while we've got a lot of things that we need to change in healthcare and we've got to keep our foot on the gas at the same time, we have to allow people to recover, you know, uh, feel like that they're on the other side of the mountain. Now that we've got a lot of uh, vaccines and people getting vaccinated and we're seeing the numbers go down and we're seeing some return to normal, um, in our, in our lives. But, um, there's still a lot of people that were impacted directly or indirectly people, a lot of, a lot of people lost family members, friends, family, you know, spouses, what, whatnot. And I think that we have to be, we have to, we have to understand that the final lesson actually, um, maybe not specific to the pandemic, but, but I, I, I heard it last week and, before the podcast, you and I were talking that I'm on the 500 Festival board and I had the privilege last week of going to the um, Breakfast at the Brickyard, which is an annual thing where the 500 Festival brings in mayors across the state and the 500 um, Festival princesses are there. A lot of dignitaries, Governor Holcomb um, um, uh, was there. And one of the the guest speaker this year was Roger Penske. And and, um, one of the questions to Roger was, his, his philosophy on, on how, how, how he gets things done. And the quote that stuck with me is that um, good enough is not good enough. And I think a lot of times when you, when you put that through either patient experience or caregiver experience or other things, I think that in one sentence that sums up really what, what you and I have talked about for many years with process improvement is to, um, never, never always improve and never let good enough be the end point. Um, and so I think that was the other, other lesson, uh, that I learned just recently, which was exciting. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's probably the best way to kind of close this episode. Good enough is not good enough. Um, and so much Patrick of the work that we did together and you continue to do, and I continue to do in a different kind of, um, capability now is just helping organizations do that, right? Continuously pursue excellence. And um, it's a fun journey. I'm grateful to do it every day. I'm always grateful for the time that we've had together. Um, Grateful that you took time to be with us today and share those insights with us. Um, And I do think I was going to ask you, but I, I just, I think we need to just plan on doing another episode in the future. Are you, are you game for that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. This episode took on a little more serious turn than we've done in the past. So maybe we'll yeah. get back to our roots on the next episode. Yeah, we can turn it around. You know, we're pretty dynamic, or at least you are. <laughs> All right, Patrick. Well, thanks again for being on Facilitating Extraordinary. Always a pleasure. Thanks again. Hey, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.